half of the antibiotics produced in the U.S. are used to produce farm animals. And the indiscriminate use of these is resulting in the development of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. We now have emerging pathogens, emerging strains of E. coli and salmonella that when they infect people are sometimes so virulent that, that they can be fatal. Coming up, learn about eating healthier with Farm Sanctuary founder Gene Bauer. Next on Change Nation from First30Days.com. Have you ever thought about what life was like for that cow that might actually be now on your plate? Most people rarely wonder where their food comes from. And the sad reality is that any meat or dairy that you consume is not raised on a family farm, but in industrial factories where life is often short and miserable. Jean Bauer has seen the ugly realities of industrialized food and is out to change the way that we treat and view farm animals in this country. He is the president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, a nonprofit organization that rescues farm animals from certain death. He's also the author of a new book, Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food. Gene is here today with us on Change Nation to educate us on meat and dairy and to talk about why we should look at changing our eating habits to live healthier and also to save an animal's life. Welcome, Gene. It's great to be with you. Gene, what's the very first thing that you want to tell people about animals and what is happening today in the world with respect to how they're treated? Well, unfortunately, on today's farms, farm animals are not seen as living, feeling creatures, they are seen much more as commodities, as tools of production, and they're treated very cruelly. Um, they're oftentimes confined in cages, of, cages that are so small that they can't walk, turn around, or exercise. Uh, they're never able to interact with other members of their species in a healthy environment. They're never able to breathe fresh air or to see the sun or to graze. Um, instead, they're just confined in these warehouses, uh, fattened as quickly as possible, oftentimes with the use of drugs and other additives, and then slaughtered on these slaughterhouse lines that move very quickly. And sometimes the animals are actually dismembered while they're still alive. So it's a brutal, cruel industry, and it is one that we do not need to participate in. And it's one that, uh, unfortunately, most citizens unwittingly support by buying animal products. Are there ways of utilizing animals for better consumption, or would you say your message is really that they should not be consumed? Well, we encourage people to consider a vegan lifestyle. Um, animals, uh, we, we do not need to kill and eat animals, and in fact, we're healthier if we don't. Uh, there's also more and more studies coming out now talking about the various environmental problems associated with raising and killing animals for food. In fact, the United Nations reported that the livestock industry is a greater contributor to global warming than the entire transportation industry. And, uh, you know, our bodies are not well designed to eat meat. So it really is better for ourselves as well as the planet, as well as the animals, uh, for people to eat plants instead of animals. Just to give an idea, how many animals per year are exploited for human consumption in this country alone? In the United States, the number is around 10 billion billion with a B. So the numbers are enormous. That, that's more animals that are raised and killed in this country every year than people that live on the planet. It's incredible. So how did this idea for you to create Farm Sanctuary occur? Was it by 
coincidence? Is it something that you had always been passionate about? Well, I've always been concerned about the various problems in the world. Uh, I grew up in the Hollywood Hills and saw coyotes and deer running around the hills. And as neighbors' houses kept getting bigger, the wild animals' habitat was encroached upon. And I remember seeing animals injured and, you know, trees cut down. And that just viscerally upset me. I've always had a soft spot for animals, just not wanted to harm them. And I also don't feel good when I see people harmed. So I I was always kind of searching for what I could do to make a difference and to not contribute to so many of the problems I was seeing around me. And as time went, I learned more and more about industrialized animal agriculture and the many problems it causes. And so in 1986, co-founded Farm Sanctuary. And at that time, there was very little known about what was happening to animals on farms. So we started visiting farms and stockyards and slaughterhouses, and we would literally find living animals on piles of dead animals or living animals thrown in trash cans. So we rescued them and took care of them. And Farm Sanctuary just grew and evolved. We generally responded to needs. We didn't have like a business plan and say we're going to do this, that, and the other. We just knew there was a problem that we wanted to address. We started uh, investigating places, finding animals left for dead, and just responded to the various needs over time. So talk to us about Hilda. I've had a, a little bit of a browse through your book. Talk to us about Hilda, I believe, who was the first animal that you rescued. That's right. Hilda is the first animal we rescued. Uh, we were visiting a stockyard in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which at the time in 1986 was the largest stockyard east of Chicago. And this is a place where animals are bought and sold, and they're usually sold through an auction ring. But there were often downed animals at this facility, and these are animals that are too sick to walk. And they would often be just left in alleyways or in pens and discarded to die. Uh, in the case of Hilda, she was thrown on the pile of dead animals behind the stockyard. And as we approached the pile, there were dead cows and dead pigs and dead sheep. And this lamb, Hilda, lifted her head. And we were stunned uh, and thought she would have to be euthanized, so took her to a local veterinarian. And as he started examining her and poking around, she perked up and then she stood up. And she lived with us for more than 10 years. Wow. So just to give people a little bit of a sense of life cycle, someone who's eating a hamburger, what, what's the life cycle from when that started off to how it sort of landed on their plate? And you can be as gruesome as you would like. Well, you know, it's unfortunately is very gruesome. And, you know, in the case of hamburger, many, much ground beef in this country actually comes from dairy cows. So I'll describe a little bit about their lives. Um, you know, dairy cows live a constant cycle of impregnation, birth, and reimpregnation. To give milk at the levels they're expecting today, they have to be pregnant and have a calf. So the calf is taken away from them immediately at birth, and then the cow starts giving milk. She's pushed to produce as much as 10 times more milk than she would normally. So her body is under in, intense stress, and she's also pregnant during most of the time when she's giving birth because, you know, they ha expect these animals to have a calf every year. So they're pushed hard, and towards the end of their lives, they, in some cases, are so sick they can't walk. These are the downed animals that are sometimes taken to slaughterhouses, dragged on and off of trucks, and then killed for food. Uh, the way they're killed is they're usually hit in the head with, like, a, a captive bolt gun that supposedly stun them, and then they're lifted up by a back leg, and their throats are cut, and uh, they bleed to death is how they die. But sometimes the stunning mechanism does not work, 
especially if they're trying to move them through the slaughterhouse as quickly as possible. And so you sometimes have live animals who may be conscious hanging upside down by a back leg. And these are big animals. And, uh, and then their throats are cut and, that, and they die that way. Oof. I'll take a deep breath. What about the effect of hormones and the things that are fed to these animals that then end up in some of our plates? Well, you know, half of the antibiotics produced in the U.S. are used to produce farm animals. And the indiscriminate use of these penicillin and other antibiotics that have been used to treat human illness is resulting in the development of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. We now have emerging pathogens, emerging strains of E. coli and salmonella that when they infect people uh, are sometimes so virulent that, that they can be fatal. And the formerly life-saving drugs, again, like penicillin, uh, are rendered useless in, in treating these diseases. So we, we have a real problem on the farm now where we've become dependent on, on a system that is unhealthy and the animals are unhealthy and new pathogens are being developed and they're threatening human well-being. Is there any difference for chickens or different types of animals or is that even worse? Well, they're all bad. And in the case of chickens, the ones that are raised for meat, they've been genetically bred to grow twice as big and twice as fast as normal. And they grow so fast that their hearts and lungs sometimes have a hard time supporting their growth rate. So they die of heart attacks just a few weeks old. And in the case of egg-laying hens, uh, they are crowded in these small wire cages where they're crowded so tightly, in fact, that they can't even stretch their wings. And they're constantly rubbing against these wire bars of their cages and their feathers rub off and they have bruises and abrasions on their bodies because they're so tightly confined. So chickens have it very bad. And another thing I'll just say quickly about the chicken industry is that there are two distinct breeds, the, the meat-type birds who grow very fast and large, and then the egg-type birds who don't grow very big. So at the hatchery that hatches the egg-laying hens, you have males and females that are born. The males are useless to the egg industry because they never lay eggs and they're useless to the meat industry because they don't grow fast enough to be raised profitably for meat. So they're literally killed on the day they hatch, and I've seen them in dumpsters. I've seen them literally put into a manure spreader to be spread live on a field like manure. So it just gives you a sense of the disregard that these animals experience. And uh, unfortunately, whenever they're raised and slaughtered for food, there is a tendency for them to be seen just as commodities, just as expendable tools of production. And that's really the crux of the problem. And, you know, I know from having seen your book, you definitely believe that animals have emotions, have personalities. I know that that's very much what you want to sort of expose to people. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Cows and pigs and chickens and turkeys and, and other farm animals have feelings, have personalities, have very deep emotions. They're not that different than our cats and dogs in terms of their ability to develop friendships and relationships with others and to experience not only pain but fear. We're just now starting to understand more about their emotional lives. And as we do, uh, the, the way we treat them becomes even more disturbing. Gene, what do we need to know about milk and the whole dairy industry? I know there's a lot of conflicting information out there about whether it's good, whether we need it, whether it's bad. You certainly know where it comes from. Yeah, well, you know, we're the only species that drinks the milk of another species, and we're also the only species that drinks milk past weaning, and we don't need to do that. Um, so cow's milk is meant for calves, not for people. 
Uh, it also does not prevent osteoporosis, despite what the dairy industry continuously says. Uh, if you look at the epidemiological evidence, in this country, we drink a lot of cow's milk, but we also have a lot of osteoporosis. So, you know, I think certain assumptions and myths about the health benefits of milk and other animal foods need to be carefully examined. Gene, any hope for people who are willing to make the switch to organic? Is that, is that truly a better solution or is it, is it not? Well, I would say organic is not as bad as uh, more commercial production methods, but it doesn't ensure humane treatment. And in fact, it doesn't even uh, require uh, these animals to be treated any better. It only requires that they not be given antibiotics and other additives. So, you know, I think people need to be cautious of the organic label, as well as other labels that represent that the foods are uh, raised in a more sustainable way or the animals are treated more humanely. And we encourage people to actually visit farms that are producing food to really get an understanding of what happens, because so often the labels sound a lot better than they really are. Yeah, I had no idea that organic didn't ensure some sort of humane treatment. No, it doesn't at all. And uh, again, it, it if the animals are not treat, given antibiotics, you know, one could, you know, argue that they have to be treated in a better way. But there's no explicit requirement that these animals be treated better or that, that there's really no humane filter on the organic label. It all has to deal with health and production methods. Gene, have you always been a vegan? No. I grew up, as most people around me, eating meat, milk, and eggs. And although I had a cat who was a very good friend and I understood animals to some extent and appreciated and loved animals, I didn't really think very much about the ones that were on my plate. But as time went, I, I started thinking more about that and I became a vegan in 1985. And how's it been since? Oh, it's been great. Uh, you know, since becoming a vegan, I actually eat more interesting and varied foods. I think when people become vegan, they, they start exploring new options and become more creative in the kitchen. And, and I know that's been my experience. What do you tell people who go back to, you know, thousands of years ago, everyone was eating meat back then, so clearly it should be part of our diets and our bodies are made for that? Well, I, I, our bodies are not made to eat meat. In fact, if you look at our, our nails, they're not claws. They're not really well designed for tearing into flesh. Neither are our teeth. Our teeth are designed more for grinding foods. And our intestinal tract is very long which is very different than the intestinal tract of a meat eater, which is short so that the meat can get through it fast. Uh, can you imagine what meat, you know, putrefying flesh, which is basically what meat is, looks like after 48 hours in our gut in a warm, moist, 98-degree temperature? You know, it's not a very pretty picture, and colon cancer is one of the problems we have in this country because of the way we eat and uh, because of our lifestyles. So I don't think we're designed to eat meat to begin with, and the notion that because human beings have done something for a while means we should continue doing it could also be used to defend slavery and, and many other practices which are clearly unacceptable. You're absolutely right. So your book, Gene, is all about getting people to look and think differently about food and what's on their plate and when they go to the grocery store. What would you say are three things just to get started off the bat, first 30 days of living healthier that you'd like to encourage people to do? I would encourage people to eat plants instead of animals as the number one best thing. So uh, when you're at a restaurant ordering, see if they could provide you with a meal leaving off the meat, dairy, or eggs. 
uh, in grocery stores, you know, buy whole fresh foods whenever possible. Fresh fruits and vegetables are wonderful. And just be mindful of how our food choices affect our own health as well as the health of the planet and other animals. The way we're eating in this country today is tragic. Uh, we are killing animals, we are torturing animals, and we're eating products that are killing us. We have huge problems with obesity and uh, other health problems. So I think people just need to be very mindful and, and recognize the importance of their food choices. Are you uh, an advocate of alternative sources of milk, for example, soy milk, rice milk, almond milk, are those things that people should start getting a little bit more familiar with? Yes, absolutely. There's great substitutes for cow's milk, including, as you mentioned, soy milk, rice milk, nut milk, oat milk. And there are also substitutes for meat. You know, there's like mock chicken or beef. And these are becoming more and more available. And they're very tasty for people who are interested in that kind of food. How are things in this country versus the rest of the world? Well, the United States has some of the, the weakest laws of the developed countries. Farm animals, for example, are excluded from the Federal Animal Welfare Act, and farm animals are also excluded from many state anti-cruelty laws. So we have real problems uh, in terms of enforcing laws and preventing some of the most abusive practices. Now, in Europe, many of the practices that are common in the United States are being phased out. But thankfully, we're starting to have, make some headway, but we have a long way to go here in the U.S. Have you been able to do things at the level of the law in this country? We've been able to do some things, and usually it's been done with citizen involvement. For example, in the state of Florida back in 2002, we worked to enact the first law in the U.S. to ban a factory farming practice when through an initiative, and this involved you know, gathering hundreds of thousands of signatures of Florida citizens around the state to get the measure on the ballot, and then citizens voted to ban gestation crates. And these are two-foot-wide enclosures where breeding pigs live for practically their whole lives, unable to walk, turn around, or exercise. They're confined in metal bars, standing on concrete floors, and you know they suffer sores on the sides of their bodies from constantly rubbing against the bars and, and laying on the concrete. So that was a law that was passed in 2002. Uh, in 2006, we got a similar law passed in Arizona through the initiative process as well to ban gestation crates for pigs, as well as to ban veal crates for calves. And these are two-foot-wide enclosures where young calves are chained by the neck for their whole lives. And those are now going to be phased out in Arizona. And right now we're in the midst of a campaign here in California to ban the use of gestation crates for pigs, veal crates for calves, and battery cages for egg-laying hens. And this is the first time ever that battery cages are being challenged. And uh, we're hopeful that it will pass. It will be on the ballot in November of 2008. Gene, the people who are involved in the slaughtering of animals, do you feel they are they're sensitized to this, or for them it's just a job? I, I, I feel badly for the people who work in slaughterhouses. Um, could you imagine what it would be like to work in one of these places where all you do for eight hours a day is cut the throats of animals? Um, it's a violent, bloody job, and it does something to people. And, um, you know, I, I wish nobody had to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Gene, the way we end off all of our interviews here on the show is to ask all of our experts and interviewers the same three questions. And they're, they're questions about change more than your specific area of knowledge or expertise. So the first one is this. What is the belief that you personally go to during times of change and transition in your life? 
Um, I, I think that most people are inherently desire good and that, uh, you know, we all share some of the same interests when we are communicate and work together, we can see some very good progress. Here's the second one. Fill in the sentence. The best thing about change is? It's constant. And I believe it is, as, as Martin Luther King said, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And what is the best change that you've ever made? The best change I've ever made was, I would say, becoming vegan. Gene, on behalf of all those listening, reading your book, and certainly on behalf of the animals, thank you for who you are, what you do, and the wisdom that you've shared with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much. And together we can make a difference, and we are. You've been listening to Change Nation, a show from the first 30 days. Today, we've been speaking with Jean Bauer, author of the very moving book, Farm Sanctuary. Please be sure to pick up a copy of his book. And for more information, log on to his website at farmsanctuary.org. Please visit us at first30days.com for more interviews, expert and inspirational stories. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Change Nation from first30days.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes in the Society and Culture section under Philosophy. Make sure you take time to leave us feedback about the show. We'd love to know what you think. Change Nation is a production of First30days.com. Copyright 2008. All rights reserved. <laughs>